How much courage does it take to leave behind everything you've ever known? Last week, we started the story of Abby Alvarado as an abused nine-year-old child who was taken from her home by authorities due to abuse and neglect. They unknowingly placed her somewhere that was even worse. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm so glad that you've joined me for another captivating true crime story where physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways are waiting for us. If you're listening, I believe you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI, not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact. This is season four, episode 34, and the book for this week is, just like last week, I Am Abigail, A Texas Woman's Childhood Nightmare, and Her Escape from Hell as a Sex Slave Survivor. My guests are Abby Alvarado and Jamie Collins. Jamie wrote this story, but Abby lived it. At the end of last week's episode, and if you haven't listened to it yet, you'll definitely want to go back and grab all the great nuggets that my guests gave us. Abby was legally an adult, but she felt powerless to leave her situation because she just couldn't imagine abandoning the three children that she'd had by her uncle turned adoptive stepfather turned abuser. Abby's adoptive mother, Laura, developed a life-threatening disease, and Chevo, her adoptive father, told Abby that once Laura passed, he and Abby could be married and have more children together. It was all Abby could do not to throw up when he talked that way. I mean, can you even imagine? In his mind, their life was a twisted kind of normal, and Abby sometimes began to wonder if it would be better just to be dead. But she knew that her children needed her even if they thought she was their much older sister. The family moved yet again, and their newest house now had a small cottage at the back of the property. Laura had become fixated on Abby's oldest daughter, calling her the miracle baby after she survived a very scary situation as an infant. By the time the girl was six or seven, Laura was telling her that she could heal people. Abby's parents had attended church now and then as Abby grew up, but now they were becoming obsessively religious, and Abby just couldn't understand what the change was. We're going to find out here in a minute. Laura and Chevo transformed the cottage into a chapel of sorts, and they invited people who felt like they were in need of blessings or prayers or healing to come. They promoted it on a Facebook page, and they even began to hold mass at this little cottage that they named the St. Peregrine Chapel. They dressed Abby's daughter in a long white gown with a lace veil that covered her face. She looked just like the part of someone who might be able to cure whatever ailed you. Reporters eventually sniffed out what was going on, and then more and more people began to come, hoping to get their own miracle from the Miracle Girl. Of course, the offerings these people left had become a major part of the household income, and yet still the abuse continued. Laura and Chevo's sudden religious devotion made no difference there. As Abby said, and listen to this very carefully, it is so profound, evil can clean up nice on Sundays to hide in the daylight. It certainly made me wonder what's hiding in the lives of people that I know, and I hope it makes you wonder the same thing. We mentioned a man named Rudy last week, and this is the point in the story where he enters. He was raised with a strong belief in healings and miracles from God, 
And that's how he came to be invited to help out at the St. Peregrine Chapel. And that's where he met Abby. They were instantly drawn to each other. But he had no idea how hard it would be to really get to know Abby. He had no idea what was going on in her life. He tried messaging her on Facebook, but Abby's responses were usually very short. He couldn't possibly have known, and no one else did either, how controlling Laura and especially Chevo were of Abby's time and who she interacted with. To get around that, Rudy added another phone to his plan, a phone for Abby. He doesn't know it yet, but that phone will be a lifeline for her and her children. Now Abby and Rudy can communicate more freely, and they were even able to meet in secret once in a while. Abby said that for the first time in a long time, she felt happiness, excitement, and hope. She even said that she forgot what it felt like to have something to actually look forward to. Boy, that hit me hard, and it just reminded me that we just really all take so much for granted, don't we? Not only in our own lives, but I think we assume that everybody else's life is going pretty well, too. As the weeks pass, Rudy and Abby fall in love. He was so patient about having to be kept a secret from what he believes are just overprotective parents. But finally, like anybody's would, his patience wears thin, and he told Abby that she had to tell him why Laura and Chevo kept such a tight rein on a 24-year-old woman. Abby is sure in her heart of hearts that when she tells Rudy the truth, when he knows everything, he'll just be done with her. But as the secrets tumble out, he tells her he has already suspected some of what she's telling him. He said this in the book, and again, please listen so carefully. This is profound for all of us. The signs were there to be seen if someone was watching. I was watching. How many people could be saved if more of us just spent some time watching? Of course, Chevo and Laura did find out about Rudy, and true to form, they tried to control his relationship with Abby. But Rudy was able to encourage the woman that he loved that she could get away and that he would be there for her to help her. When Abby was finally ready, she and the kids left and never looked back. I'm so, so in awe of her because it took so much courage to do that. And Abby wasn't done being courageous. She gathered up what extra courage she could and went to the police to report the years of abuse. Abby and Rudy got married and they had a baby boy of their own. Laura and Chevo did what they always did. They ran. But they were caught after they were dumb enough to post a plea for donations on Facebook to cover medical expenses of Laura's. They each pled no contest to the multiple charges against them. Laura was sentenced to 33 years in prison and was required to then register as a sex offender. A no contact order was also entered to prohibit Laura from any contact with Abby or her children due to this affirmative finding of family violence. Chevo was sentenced to life in prison and that's exactly what he got. He died after being in custody for just two years Ironically, on April Fool's Day, Abby, Rudy, and their kids are thriving. So I want you to hear more from Abby and from the woman who brought this story to life to share that there is hope and there is healing, author Jamie Collins. Jamie, I have to ask, was it hard to write a story that even though it's true and you have court documents and all kinds of official 
transcripts to, to back everything up. But it's something that's really so out of most people's frame of reference. Were you concerned that people just wouldn't buy some of it? I wasn't. I mean, I think with any any book of any lane, really, um, there's always going to be a certain demographic of people that aren't interested or won't read it. And that's fine. We're always just looking for the ones who will and that this is their ideal kind of story where this is what they're looking for, for whatever reason. And I think a lot of people who have survived things, that's why they pick these type of books. And I think other people, it's kind of like the fly on the wall syndrome. Like, what would this be like? And my goal is always to truly share her authentic experience where when you're done with this book, you feel like, you know, Abby and Rudy, like you really true to God do feel like you can hear him talking in a room. If you heard somebody that sounded like him, you'd think it's them. And so for me, I guess part of the chase of the writing is just to get all of those elements in and to make sure that it really is authentic to them and to the way that they would say things and it's important to me to try to, I guess, if she's going to be brave enough to tell her story for me to justify the right words to do it for her, because it's just such a big deal for her to step forward like this. Do you still have people, Abby, that that say, well, it, it couldn't have been all like that? Do you have anybody that kind of doubts any of the story? The only one that might doubt it is my brother. That's we really be don't talk much anymore. It is. It, it is because we were very close, me and my brother and my sister. We were very close. I don't know if he was doubting it. In my head, I feel like he was because he wanted me to sit there and, and tell him every detail. And at that time, I wasn't ready to speak up the way I am now. And he got upset and stopped talking to me. So I, I think he's the only one that I feel that's doubted everything that happened to me. But other than that, no. I think people actually realize that this really happened. And I, I well, think good. with her brother, it's I don't know if it's that he wouldn't believe it. I think he just has a hard time reconciling it because he lived there for parts of this. But he believed all the cover stories and kind of you know, oh, Abby's different. Abby's in special ed was one of the ones they love to throw. Like Abby, we have to watch Abby. So if you grow up when you're seven years old hearing we have to watch Abby, you just believe that you have to watch her. You don't really ever stop to ask, is this a justified response? So I think, I think he has a hard time reconciling it, is my guess. Well, that's very understandable because as you said, they were very accomplished liars they knew how to cover things, and when they couldn't cover things, they just moved on to a new set of people who didn't have the context, who didn't know what had been going on. So that has to be hard, but I'm glad that you did not let that stop you from speaking. I'm not going to let no one stop me from speaking. <laughs> She's Good found her you. voice, Lori. <laughs> yes, and I, I love, love it. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. And again, she's just smiling. I wish you could see the joy on her face. I want to ask you, Jamie, because I get asked this, you know, sharing some of the stories that I share and doing the work that I do. Was there ever a point when you were in the middle of that research and you're just being inundated with evidence of so much evil that you just thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on. No, because if she could live it, I certainly could hear about it or could find a way to write about it. And that really is how I felt about it. I was with her as a little girl through large parts of this, and I wasn't going to leave or abandon the little girl. 
And then I was with her who became my friend, kind of like a sister is how she feels to me. But over time, no way am I abandoning that. So it was just that was never a, a thought for me. And it was just trying to stick in there with her and for us to have this really close relationship to where we could tell this story fully and in the way that we both believed that it needed to be told. That is so important because so many times we avoid the hard conversations because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. But until we feel that, we can't empathize enough to move our hearts to want to help. Yeah. And I will say in each book, there's always one chapter where I can point to it and tell you which one just slayed me emotionally for like usually at least three days, sometimes two weeks. For hers, it was her first incident of sexual abuse. It was when she was raped. Just, And I think it's because at that point, I'm close to her. I know her. I know her story. I'm kind of with her. I kind of played the whole movie through my head leading up to it. And then it's like this big, pivotal, terrible moment. And it's like learning that and being with her. You don't just hang up the phone and let it go. Like that's one that kind of lingers with you. And it's still, when I think about it, like that's the chapter that I would point to. And it's, I want to say, I believe artfully done in a way that it is palatable for people if they just will give this book a chance. But it shows so much of what the experience truly is like for a little girl or little boy that's in this situation. It kind of evolves. It's not just a one incident and gone for a lot of people. I know the stories that I share in some small way change me. And it sounds like that happens for you too, for for both of you. So Jamie, first, tell me how going through this process has changed you. Well, it's interesting because before I ever wrote a book, I thought that writing the book was the goal, right? Like you're, you're, you want to be an author, you're going to write a book, that's the end game of it. But I've kind of discovered it's not about the actual writing of the book itself. It's about who you become having written the book. And there's a big difference between the two. And you, I, as a writer, come out a different person and a stronger person and a better, more compassionate, just a better overall human. And I think the people that I write about have the same kind of an experience. It's like they come in one way and it, it kind of is like the Phoenix rising or something, but it's like when they're out the other side of this, they walk into a room different. Like Abby just told you, she used to not want to talk or tell anybody anything. And now she's like, good luck. I'm never going to stop talking like I'm here to say here to say my piece kind of thing. So it's it's cool for me to kind of evolve and to watch her evolve at the same time. And it really is the most, I guess, mutually coolest beneficial experience to have with someone for me. Well, I'm guessing then, Abby, one of the big changes that that you've experienced going through the process of getting this story out in book form is just confidence. Now, can you can you share maybe how that confidence has impacted different areas of your life? The confidence has impacted me a lot, a lot. Like I wasn't able to do anything by myself. And now I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go to the bar with my friends or to the movies and speaking up when I know somebody is talking to me the wrong way or saying something that I didn't like, um, now I speak up. I'm like, no, I did my job the way I was supposed to do it. Now leave me be. You don't like it, do it yourself. Or just little things like that. I'm like, I just speak up now. I don't let no one hold me back anymore. I'm just, I have a big mouth now. 
and we love you it. Have Abby. A voice. <laughs> yes, you have a you have a voice is what you have. I yes. personally, I love women with a big mouth. Yes. So that is a good good thing. Well, Jamie, because your first two books have been so impactful, do you have plans for a third? Oh, you're killing me, Lori. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of go into this cocoon after when the books come out. It's like I always, the first one I promised I wouldn't do another project or start anything new was the exact words for at least a year. And it took a year and a half before I met Abby and this became a thing. I'm going to say at least the same amount of time this time. And by then my son will be in college and I'll have a little more free time. But I really, I just like enjoying the journey with her. So I'm not trying to move on to the next thing. Like I could have the world's greatest story come my way tomorrow and I would maybe table it or tell them no, because I'm with Abby right now. And I plan to be with her for probably at least a year, maybe two. This is usually an extended journey. So I'm just so excited. Like I'm so excited to know her. I'm so excited to be the one telling her story. And I'm so excited to be talking to you about all of it. So thanks so much for for having us do this today. Oh, it was my pleasure. And I know that several authors listen to the podcast and, and probably some people who are thinking about maybe trying their hand at writing a book. If any of them have ever thought about doing a nonfiction story from a survivor's point of view, maybe they know somebody like you did with your first book, or someone has shared a story with them that has just really grab their heart and their soul, what advice would you give them? I would say be fearless. And I truly mean that because that's a big ask, right? Like fearless means you have no fear. You're diving in no matter what you're going for it. And I always tell people, I think people think like they have to know how to write a book. There's tons of resources out there. If you're Googling writing quotes, that counts too. It's like anything you do to kind of move you along the path to making this happen for yourself, then maybe it's a longer journey than you think totally works. So just if you aren't the outline type, start writing, jump around. It's like there's a million ways to write a book. So don't feel limited and don't feel like you can't do it because the only person who can anoint you for this is literally you. You're it. You're the only permission that you need. So you got to kind of give give yourself the permission to become the writer if that's what you want to be. Fearless is such a great word. Abby, would you tell people that being fearless has made your life better in so many ways it has being fearless has made my life a lot better i just like i said able to go and do things now i do keep an eye out i do i watch my surroundings a lot but i am fearless i it's helped me out so much to be fearless i'm going to give each of you a chance to share one more thing that this experience or just the facts of the story, whatever you think that we haven't covered yet, that you really want people to know. So Abby, what what would you share with somebody that is just really, really important to you? Like I keep saying, be fearless, be brave. There is hope out there, speak out, and somebody is going to hear you. Somebody will hear you be be brave. What about you, Jamie? Well, I guess for starters, I want to say I just admire Abby so much for stepping forward to tell her story because I know it was a lot. It's a big one. And I guess I just want to share a little bit more of kind of what people can expect if they buy her book, I Am Abigail. 
it, it is a survivor story. There is a true crime element, obviously, to it, but it's really a deep dive into her life. So it's like you're a fly on the wall. You're seeing and hearing what she's seeing and hearing. You're kind of processing things with her through the way. Um, and I always say my secret weapon in this book is Rudy, right? Like he steps in as a stranger, some random guy she just meets one day, and it changes everything. So there's this beautiful sweeping love story that's kind of in the middle of this one when you don't expect it. And there's some suspense elements and court stuff. And it's just, it's one whopper and one heck of a story. So I hope people will give it a chance. Um, short of people who are personally triggered by the book, maybe not being able to read it. It really is for everyone. And I think they will walk away and have really, I don't want to say enjoyed, because that's always weird with these kind of books, but I think they will walk away with so much value from having read it. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I always hate to use terminology like that or um, entertainment, but I think for these types of stories, what it is, is it grabs and keeps your attention. It's compelling. So that's what I would tell with everybody. You have captured it beautifully. And Abby, you have a very compelling story of survival, of perseverance, of hope, and of being able to become your best self, no matter what anybody else tried to have for you. So ladies, thank you so very much for joining us and, and for sharing what I know was a difficult, yet in the end, through the pain, a beautiful story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's I love your podcast. You do such a great job and you have so much compassion and I'm just really excited to be on your show. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you for having us. Well, everyone, I want you to share this episode because there are people out there that are still hurting, that haven't been able to get out from under, who haven't been able to rise above yet, and they need us to help them take those steps so that they can be amazing people like Abby. So thank you again, ladies. I hope we uh, are able to talk again sometime. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lori. Awesome. Thank you. For our scripture passage this week, I want to read from the Old Testament, from the 21st chapter of Isaiah, verses 6 through 8. And I'm reading from the New International Version. This is what the Lord says to me. Go, post a lookout, and have him report what he sees. When he sees chariots with teams of horses, riders on donkeys or riders on camels, let him be alert, fully alert. And the lookout shouted, day after day, my Lord, I stand on the watchtower. Every night I stay at my post. Isaiah is prophesying in this chapter about the coming ruin of Babylon. God tells him that a watchman is needed to be aware of what's happening around the city and to give the people reliable information about what he sees. A watchman's job, in part, is to alert people to coming danger. In Abby's story, Rudy was a watchman. He paid attention, and he tried to warn Abby of the dangers that he saw. It was hard for her, but as she trusted him more and more, she was able to take action and save herself and her children. I think that a very big lesson here for all of us is that watchmen, or we'll say watch people, not only have to open their eyes, but also their mouths. We cannot forget that we live in a broken world and it's filled with broken people who sometimes will give themselves over to evil. 
we must be watchmen or watch women or watch persons. Okay, those are all really awkward. So let's just say we all need to be watchers. And when we see things that just aren't right, that just might mean danger to someone, we have to speak up. I know that that can feel scary. So I really want to hear what you think about this whole idea of being a watcher for your family, your community, and the people at your church. You can send me an email at lori, L-O-R-I, at theunlovelytruth.com, or message me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at The Unlovely Truth, or on Instagram at The Unlovely Truth Podcast. I love it when people are willing to have those hard but impactful conversations. And I'd love to have one with you. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.